The idea of introducing an anti-discrimination law in Korea is gaining traction after the minor opposition Justice Party proposed it in late June, but it's still uncertain whether it will finally be passed in the 21st National Assembly. So, starting tomorrow for three days, we're going to be discussing why there's been such a strong demand from various sectors of Korean society to call for the passage of this bill and why it's also faced some opposition. And before getting to that, uh, we first looked at the example of another country that uh, Korea can perhaps aspire to, a country that has adopted a similar law decades ago. New Zealand legislated its Human Rights Act in 1993, which protects people in the country from discrimination in a number of areas of life. And we're very pleased and honored to hear more about this uh, from New Zealand's ambassador to South Korea, Philip Turner, here in the studio. Sir, thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, Before we uh, delve into the topic of discrimination, um, can you first, because it's It's been widely lauded. I know here in Korea, the the media wants to play up the international uh, um, coverage of how South Korea has handled the pandemic. But uh, New Zealand, maybe even to a further extent, has done such a great job. Uh, How would you describe how both countries, but especially New Zealand, has been able to handle the pandemic so well? Well, thank you. Um, So far, we think it's been reasonably effective in New Zealand. Um, As of today... We have gone about 70 days with zero local transmission. So the government has been able to say that we, ha- we think we have, we hope we have, in effect, eliminated local transmission of the virus in New Zealand. Uh, we're still getting some cases that are imported coming through the border, and we have about 24 cases, active cases today. Uh, but it's been a long time since we had the local transmission. Uh, but that was achieved through, as the Prime Minister put it, going hard and going early. We locked down the country yeah. uh, at what we called level four for five weeks, which was a very severe lockdown. People were uh, confined to their own households or bubbles. Uh, but that had the effect of uh, you know, largely eliminating local transmission, uh, which has been quite successful. But it has left us with the challenge now that um, at the borders where we have very strict um, restrictions on entry into New Zealand, Essentially, mm-hmm. only New Zealanders and very few uh, exceptions um, among foreigners are able to enter New Zealand. So um, I'm, I'm no scientist, so it's hard to judge other countries' uh, management compared with New Zealand. And, and countries are adopting slightly different approaches. And I'm aware that Korea has adopted a different approach. Sure. Uh, but the New Zealand approach has really been about evidence, about science, and about effective communication to New Zealanders of the risks of, of COVID. Uh, at this stage, I think you know, we're, we're hopeful that it's going pretty well in New Zealand. Uh, but we're very aware, as we've seen recently in several other countries around the world, including Korea, that clusters can occur um, pretty well anytime, anywhere. It's very difficult to control. Uh, So we're very aware of the need for vigilance going forward. And it's somewhat, perhaps a little bit of an awkward segue, but uh, you did have a comment recently in regards to how COVID-19 has impacted many people, but especially hit hard the more vulnerable uh, population, particularly uh, minorities. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, We've seen recently some reports on this from the United Nations Human Rights Office, 
Uh, and it's very clear that COVID-19 has a, a big impact, a disproportionate and adverse impact upon minorities all around the world. Minorities can include ethnic minorities, uh, immigrants, mm-hmm. disabled people, women, gender minorities, as well, as, of course, of the underprivileged. Uh, now, we know that some minority groups are seeing uh, fatality rates several times higher than other groups in the pandemic. Uh, and this is due to a number of reasons. Often minorities have difficulty accessing healthcare facilities. Uh, emergency measures such as the lockdowns I mentioned in New Zealand, uh, these tend to have a, a more serious impact on people from minorities, right. particularly migrants. Uh, and then, of course, minority communities also face greater impacts from the economic downturn that the pandemic causes. So the impact on minorities can be, can be more severe in a number of ways uh, and for a variety of reasons. Uh, we see this around health, access to treatment, uh, and also just um, particularly the impact on those with social, lower socioeconomic status. Uh, minority women in particular face kind of a compound mm. of hardships because they already face gender dis- discrimination on top of uh, discrimination around being part of a minority. So there's a bunch of drivers, yeah. but the impact is certainly disproportionately tough on minorities. And certainly uh, minority rights would be an important aspect of any anti-discrimination bill. Uh, there is one sort of, uh, I, I guess, uh, hot button issue in regards to the debate here in Korea with an anti-discrimination bill, and that would be the question of addressing uh, LGBTQ rights. Uh, You were the first ambassador in a same-sex marriage whose spouse was legally recognized here in South Korea. Uh, And so, again, uh, we can call it benchmarking. We can call it looking to other countries as an example. But can you give us some background into uh, New Zealand's efforts to guarantee the rights of the LGBTQ community as a whole and, and some of the struggles that occurred there? Sure. I think New Zealand generally is recognized as a a liberal nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a long history to this, uh, starting, if you like, with uh, 1893, when uh, women in New Zealand were the first women in the world to get the right to vote. Uh, So there's been quite a tradition of innovative uh, social policy uh, and of um, trying to reduce discrimination. With regard to the LGBT community, um, we've made a lot of progress in the last couple of decades. Uh, We now have openly gay, lesbian and transgender members of parliament. Uh, I think New Zealand was the first country in the world to have a transgendered politician. Mm. Uh, And like many other countries, we currently have openly gay or lesbian uh, members of parliament, even cabinet ministers. Uh, But it wasn't always that way. It's been a tough journey for New Zealand. Uh, In fact, when I was younger, until 1986, uh, male homosexuality was... Uh, not just frowned upon, but illegal in New Zealand. Mm. So it was only decriminalized in 1986. Uh, But since then, there's been, I think, rapid and and gratifying progress uh, in that area. Uh, The the key milestones were uh, the Human Rights Act, uh, some legislation we passed in in 1993, uh, which has outlawed discrimination on the basis of gender and sexuality. Uh, In 2004, New Zealand uh, recognized same-sex civil unions, uh, essentially on the same basis as as straight de facto couples. And then in 2013, uh, same-sex marriage was legalized by parliament. And this was, uh, New Zealand was the first country in this part of the world to do so. Um, 
And you can see this in other areas too, such as in the, the armed forces in New Zealand, where New Zealand's military has been ranked number one uh, in the LGBT military index, for example, mm. around the world. I understand that it goes back to the Property Relationships Amendment Act that passed in 2001. So one of the key things that happened in New Zealand was legislation around uh, property and assets, uh, and so particularly what happens to couples, straight or gay couples, in the event of breakup. So an important piece of legislation was the Property Relationships Amendment Act, which was in 2001. And now that gives de facto couples, whether they're the opposite sex or the same sex, the same property rights as have existed for a long time for married couples. Now, what that means is if a relationship breaks up and unless there is an agreement between the couple to uh, some other effect, the courts and the government would decide that all assets should be shared equally on the event of breakup, uh, provided you've been together for three years. So it's quite Severe in that yeah. sense. If you don't make any agreement with your partner, you're together for three years, then you break up, whether straight or gay, 50-50 division of the assets. Okay. The uh, idea of an anti-discrimination law uh, and, and weighing the pros and cons and, and the opponents of it inciting their own uh, beliefs or reasons why they don't think this is necessary or uh, preferable, uh, at least with New Zealand, we can have enough of a time frame to, to look at the effects of it. Uh, it's been 20 years uh, since they introduced their anti-discrimination law. Um, what protections uh, were given to citizens of all shapes, size, uh, shapes and forms and, and creed and backgrounds? And in your view, what kind of social improvements have been made as a result of the anti-discrimination bill? Right. Uh, well, we, there's a lot of detail we could get into here. But broadly speaking, New Zealand did two things. We first of all passed a Bill of Rights. We don't have a constitution in New Zealand. So we passed a Bill of Rights, which aims to kind of set out what are the basic human rights that all New Zealanders are required to respect. Uh, and that was, that was followed by the Human Rights Act I mentioned earlier from 1993, which lays down, uh, makes very clear that you cannot discriminate uh, in certain areas. Uh, now, that largely follows the guidance of the United Nations uh, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, so that includes rights such as the freedom of expression, freedom of religious belief, freedom of movement, and the right to be free from discrimination generally. Uh, but it includes uh, explicitly uh, the um, prohibition on discrimination on the grounds of gender and sexuality. So that was interesting because unlike other countries such as the United States, for example, New Zealand went down the track of first uh, outlawing discrimination right. before giving protection to same-sex partnerships and marriage. Whereas the United States, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of went straight to marriage. Yeah. And I think the United States still has, has, has no federal anti-discrimination law on this. No, yeah. not on the book, not comprehensive. Correct, right. So in New Zealand, we went the other way. We said, look, you know, with regard to all minorities, it's not just LGBT or gender, but um, ethnic minorities, migrants and so on, um, all minorities sh should be protected under the law. Uh, so we went and... Uh, prohibited, criminalized discrimination against all those groups. And then only after that moved to provide sort of proactive recognition of relationships uh, for same-sex folk. Yeah, and that's interesting because uh, that uh, potentially could be perhaps a path that Korea can follow in terms of uh, their 
fight for an anti-discrimination bill and then later addressing the question of same-sex marriages. Because when we talk about that, because you you did mention the 2013 passage of the bill, could could you describe the process of what was involved uh, in doing that and how difficult it was after, uh, I guess, uh, it was a new normal to be used to um, this idea that uh, discrimination would be prohibited by law for quite a while? Yes. As I said, it was was a long journey. And Looking back, it all seems kind of we've got a tendency to, to assume that change was natural and straightforward and even inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it doesn't feel like that at the time, and it certainly didn't feel that way at the beginning. It was a, a, a big social change, which has required a lot of adjustment by many people and a huge effort, particularly by uh, the, the activists and campaigners. I think one of the key things in New Zealand's experience has been that at each stage, and there have been milestones in this journey, uh, people got used to Uh, They took a step which seemed a bit scary for some people at the time, got used to it, realized that society was not going to collapse, Mm. uh, and were able, therefore, to move to the next step. So you started with decriminalization of male homosexuality, then anti-discrimination, then civil sex relationships, then marriage. Uh, At each step, there was considerable debate uh, and a lot of opposition in society and parliament. Uh, And then finally, you know, we got to marriage. I recall one particular debate in the New Zealand Parliament, uh, and there was a very famous short speech made by a uh, a member of Parliament who was a conservative, uh, a guy called Morris Williamson, who's now our Consul General in Los Angeles, actually. And he was a conservative, and he wasn't particularly keen on same-sex marriage. But he stood in Parliament and said, you know... He said, um, I woke this morning to come to Parliament and over my electorate was a great big gay rainbow in the sky. Mm-hmm. And he said, maybe this tells me something. But his main point was to say, he said, look, I woke up this morning, I'll wake up tomorrow and society will be much the same as it was today. In other words, this legislation is not going to result in the destruction of the family or the collapse of our society. It's a small step in recognizing a minority. And on that basis, I'll vote for the legislation. So that went down very, very well. And I think that kind of encapsulates for many people how that change happened in New Zealand. People were nervous, sensitive, a lot of debate. But step by step, as we move forward, we recognize that it's good for minorities who really need this kind of support and protection. And it doesn't do damage to society as a whole. Uh, just to follow up on what you're describing there, because it is interesting, in, again, to compare to the Korean context with very loud voices coming from, uh, you can say extreme right wing, but uh, very conservative, uh, religious, uh, mostly Protestant groups who have been railing against the idea of any discrimination bill that would include provisions to protecting rights of LGBTQ uh, Everyone, it's a false image, perhaps, but uh, there's this idea of this utopian uh, land called New Zealand where Peter Jackson filmed the Lord of the Rings <laughs> movies and everybody is on the same page with, with uh, progressive values. Are there still elements of that more reactionary um, uh, minority of society that still raises their voices against these kind of things? Of course. Right. Okay. New Zealand is a diverse society right. like many others and diversity includes diversity of opinion. Uh, including, you know, we need to respect the the views of more conservative folk who have been uncomfortable about many of these changes. But it's kind of interesting you mentioned Peter Jackson. You know, the whole point of Lord of the... Well, one of the points of Lord of the Rings, in a way, is that that world is inhabited by all sorts of folks 
right? You've got the hobbits. Yeah. You've got the orcs. Yeah. You know, you've got, um, I can't even remember them all now, you've got the ants and all sorts of different tribes. And they interact and have adventures. So it, it is a bit of a, a reminder that all of our societies have diverse groups, whether it's sexual minorities, ethnic, you know, gender, gender groups, migrants. Um, and, you know, I think the New Zealand experience has been, we are, we are basically um, uh, a society populated from abroad. Um, New Zealand is probably the last place on the planet to be inhabited. Mm. Until 800 years ago or so, there was nobody mm. in the country. Then the Māori came. And then 600 years later, Europeans came. Uh, more recently, we've had waves of immigration from Asia, right, from right. China, from India, from South Africa, from Korea. Uh, in my city, Auckland, 40% of the population was born outside New Zealand. Mm. So it's become a very diverse, multi-ethnic society. Uh, and I think there's, um, there's, that's, there's a great thing, we think. Uh, it creates a very dynamic uh, society. If, uh, diversity, you know, studies have shown that diversity tends to be good for the economy. Uh, and it can be good for, for us as people by you know, broadening our minds and creating a more tolerant society. But it's not easy. It brings challenges. And the experience of minorities, the Māori, the women, LGBT communities, shows very clearly the struggles that people have had to go through to overcome those challenges uh, and to get to where we are today, which is, I think, a very, very successful, multi-ethnic, diverse society. Yeah. Uh, not to make another popular culture reference, but I'm a big fan of the Stephen Colbert uh, Late Show and, and uh, Prime Minister <laughs> Jacinda's appearances that are just hilarious. She was, uh, she was just being goof, goofy and, you know, just allowing her, uh, I mean, this ability to laugh at herself as well, right? We've really shown, but then later when we see with the COVID-19 pandemic and her hyper-competent uh, leadership throughout this, do you feel there are some um, relationships, some correlations with this idea of expanding uh, rights and, and liberties to communities like LGBTQ or my, minority groups and how this country also has a very strong sort of uh, image in terms of gender equality to have such a strong prime minister who's really become an inspiration for a lot, a, a large part of the world. Well, th thank you for those comments. Um, the prime minister is the first to say that the, our efforts around COVID-19 are very much uh, the efforts of a team of 5 million people. So it's all New Zealanders pulling together to achieve this. It's required sacrifices by everybody. Uh, but I think, uh, look, there is a, a strong tradition in New Zealand of equality, of egalitarianism. Uh, many of the white settlers in New Zealand came from societies in Europe, for example, that were very hierarchical. And very often the desire to migrate to the other end of the world uh, reflected you know, their views about those hierarchy, you know, unequal societies in which they lived. They were trying to get to a, create a new society which would be more equal, more open. Uh, and I think that that view of egalitarianism and equality, you know, is is very strong even today as part mm. of New Zealanders. For example, like Stephen Colbert, you know, when he came to New Zealand, and the Prime Minister drove her own car to the airport, picked yeah, him yeah. up, right, right, and drove him to her home and gave him a barbecue. Right. That sense that even the Prime Minister is an ordinary person. Yeah, yeah. and that was not a contrived, like staged type no, of thing, right? Yeah, that's exactly the way she is, and right. the way most New Zealanders are. So there's something there about we want to relate to other people on a basis of equality. That's fundamental to, to who we are. 
Uh, final question here. I'm sure there are still challenges in New Zealand as well, but uh, as you've been hearing from media reports and just uh, maybe various uh, conversations in Korea and Korea's struggle to try to come to an anti-discrimination bill, any, any uh, final thoughts or comments on uh, what process we, we're going to go through? Well, only that, as I said earlier, the path to reform and change can be very difficult. Um, and we, by all means, are not perfect in New Zealand. We've made a lot of progress where, about which I'm very pleased. But we still have a number of challenges, uh, particularly, for example, for our indigenous Māori people who continue to be significantly disadvantaged uh, in employment, uh, in, in um, treatment, uh, in the prison populations, for example. Uh, women, too. We've made great progress. And, of course, we have a women prime minister. We have a woman governor general. Uh, but there's still... A long way to go. For example, one statistic to leave you with, the pay gap between mm. men and women is big in most parts of the world. I think in Korea, it's something like 37%. In New Zealand, it's improved significantly, and it's now 9%, where it was, I think, something like 16% only 20 mm. years ago. So we've made good progress, but you know, we're, there's still a 9% gap yeah. even today. So that tells you that there are still a number of challenges remaining before we reach true equality. Oh, I really want to appreciate uh, your time uh, spent with us here on uh, this morning. And uh, really important to get these insights uh, from New Zealand. Ambassador to South Korea, thank you so much for joining us. Thank appreciate you very much. It. Thank you.